Now tonight, as I told you, the title of the teaching tonight is Learning from God in Difficult, Changing Times. Now, the first thing you're going to see on the screen, I want you to repeat after I do it. Repetition is the mother of all learning. Let's do it again. Repetition is the mother of all learning. Let me give you an example. How many of you remember the very first time you tried to drive a car with stick shift? I know some of the younger people are laughing, but the older people, you remember that, don't you? You remember how difficult it was. Well, how did you end up doing that? that so you didn't kill the car. Well, repetition over and over and over again. That's exactly. Now, what have we learned during this pandemic by repetition? What have we learned? Let me give you just a few things. You probably have more that you can do. We've learned what six feet looks apart. What, what, six feet apart, what does that look like? Have you ever been in a store and you say to that person, whoa, 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 you're, you're only four feet. Move away, move away, move away. We've learned what six feet is. How about this? We learn how to put on a face mask, how to put it around your head. Put your glasses there. We've learned. How did you do that? Well, you didn't do it probably the first time. You, you had, took a few times to get used to it. Here's another one. We've learned how to wash our hands like we never have before. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Get those thumbs, remember? Get those thumbs. Make sure that's soap. And here's the last one. I practiced this a few times recently at Publix and at Aldi. We've learned to recognize one-way aisles when shopping for food. You go right down that aisle and you go, oh, that's where the food is. And somebody comes this way. Oh, no, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. You got to go back, go around the back. We've learned all those things. How do we do it? Repetition. As you know, our world has drastically and impacted millions of people. Now, listen, because all of us maybe have a part in this. People have been impacted by fear, anxiety, loss of hope, depression, frustration, and, of course, uncertainty. Well, today, as we teach, we will learn from God. Take a look at that. How to be changed spiritually for the better. We want to come out of this pandemic for the better spiritually in our lives. Now, here's a verse. I, know, I have this verse in many applications, many different Bible versions, but I love this one with the Holman Bible. Look what it says. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep the mind, pay attention to that, that is dependent on you in perfect peace for it is trusting in you now notice the mind you know because you've been in church many years many of you now somebody that's new you don't know this the battle the spiritual battle that we all are always in is in the mind notice what that verse said notice you will keep the mind that is dependent on God and that brings us peace. Now, Romans 12:2 says it like this. Satan 
wants to control our minds. He always wants to lead us back to those things, fear, anxiety, depression. You'll never get out of this. He's always playing in our mind with that. The more we watch television and all that kind of stuff, our mind goes there. But those are lies from Satan. That's all he can do. But God wants to transform our lives, our minds, by knowing and obeying the Bible. You see, God's word is the mind of God. So you're going to see as I go through, we have to get back to focusing on the word of God. That's what transforms our minds to think like God thinks. Now, the Bible is filled with truth. It's all truth. To keep us spiritually healthy, it doesn't matter what we're going through. To keep us spiritually healthy. Now, I'm going to go back very quickly to the beginning. And watch Jesus' life and how you and I became Christ followers. Jesus began his ministry about when he was 30 years old. After being filled with the Holy Spirit, then he was led by the Spirit. And then he began to minister to hurting people. Now, one of the things we see immediately, just a short time afterward, we see that Jesus had a plan. He knew he wasn't going to do his life by himself. That's why we can't wait to get back together in our, in our churches because we love to do things one another together. That day will be coming. So Jesus, one of the first things he did, he went to God and he went to prayer and he chose 12 disciples. Now he chose those 12 disciples basically to do one thing, learn about him. But the whole key after that was he knew he was going back to heaven And when he left, he needed to leave the church with leadership that lived like Jesus. That's exactly what he did. Now, when you see that happening, what happens here? Look at these words that Jesus said. Mark 1.17. Jesus said to the disciples, the fishermen on the shore of Galilee, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Those 11 words changed every single person who really took that command seriously. That's how you and I became part of a Christ follower. We did that very same thing. Now, when the disciples began to follow Jesus, when you began to follow Jesus, our whole life changed. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And the disciples learned that. Their whole lives were changed. Actually, it became one of the greatest lifestyles they could have ever imagined. They moved from just fishing to fishing from people, men's hearts. And then they were all over different parts of the world. Now, what was Jesus saying when he meant, follow me? Here's what he's saying to all of us. Follow me. I will teach you. I will guide you. I will correct you. I will encourage you. I'll equip you. And my goal is for you to be like me. Now, all those things I just read to you make us better in our lives. Now, if you're a Christian, then you're a Christ follower. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, to follow means to walk the same road that Jesus did. You'll see that in a moment. But here's a definition we know. To follow become a disciple, not just a convert, a disciple. What does that mean? A lifelong 
learner under discipline, obeying God's word. Now, as you know, you've heard me say this for many, many, many years. Following Jesus Christ is the greatest lifestyle in all the world. Now, sometimes we don't know this. So I wanted to bring it to our mind tonight. Life is a journey. It's a lifelong journey with Jesus. It's not simply about the destination. Of course we want to go to heaven. But while we're here on earth, this is a journey. Would you just turn to whoever's in your house or apartment, or if you're on a porch and there's people around you, the dog won't matter. Don't even talk to them. But talk to another person and say this. I'm on a lifetime journey with God. I'm on a lifetime journey with God. Now, I'm going to give you eight lessons tonight. They're very simple. Here's the first one. You'll see it on the overhead. Lesson number one, enjoy the journey of life by following Jesus. Yes, you're going to see in a moment, life is up and down and up and down. Jesus will tell us that. But we're to enjoy it because we already know the outcome. We're not doing life alone. Never are we doing life alone because you have the Holy Spirit in us. Now, the Christ followers, some people don't understand this. We're never designed to be an event. Well, I got saved, Pastor Mark. I've got, I've got my, actually, this is my, this is my insurance. This is my life insurance. I got fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. I'll see you later in heaven. No, that's not how it works. Remember, this is a journey. It's a lifetime of journey of following Jesus Christ. Now, why do I want to follow him? Because God's goal is for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Actually, Jesus expects every Christ follower to grow and be like him in three ways. Let me give you the three ways. You'll see it. It's very simple. Now, as I give you these three ways, ask yourself, how are you doing? Each Christ follower is to think, to be, and to minister like Jesus. I'm to have the mind of Christ. I'm to have the character of Christ. I'm to use my gifts, like Jesus did, to minister to people's needs. See, the more I do that, John wrote about this in 1 John. Look what he writes. Whoever claims to live in him must walk. That simply means to have a lifestyle as Jesus did. You see, if that's what you say you are, that if you claim to be a follower of Christ, then we have to walk like Christ. We have to live, basically, like Christ did. Now, I would love to say that on our journey with God, everything is smooth as silk. It's smooth as silk. But it isn't. You all know that. We're going through it. Really difficult times now. Jesus warned his disciples, and he warned us in the Bible in John 16, of difficult times. Here it is. You see it. I have told you, Jesus speaking, that this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, where are we living? <laughs> We're on the earth. Here on earth, you will have, I don't like the first word, but it's there, many trials and sorrows. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. 
and the demonic things and the nasty things from Satan and the lies. I have already defeated the enemy. Now, how are we to respond to these trials that God allows in our life? Pastor Mark, are these trials really good for us? It doesn't seem like I don't see much good from this coronavirus. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, you'll see lots of good. I'll give you eight things for that when you go through this. Here's lesson number two. God uses our trials, what we're all going through. All of you that are listening to me, watching me, you're going through all kinds of different things, but around the world, it's pretty similar. God uses our trial trials to grow us spiritually, spiritually. Now, James basically writes it like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's like this verse was written for us. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, endurance. Now, I brought something with me. Here they are. Now, quit laughing. This is as high as I go. I have great muscles. I know you don't email me. I already know you're laughing. It's okay. Faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised. It has to be exercised. Otherwise, atrophy happens. God knows exactly what I'm talking about. See? So he approves difficulties. He approves trials in our lives to grow our faith. Can I just say this? Life is God's basically gymnasium. Is gymnasium. The trials that come into our life, I can either just set that down and forget it. Well, I'm not going through that one, God. What's wrong with you? No, 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 no. You got to pick it up. You got to trust God. Faith that isn't tested cannot be trusted. So all this stuff we're going through is to grow us to be more like Jesus Christ. And it just happens over and over again. That's what the disciples experienced. That's what every Christian has experienced in their whole lifetime. Now, let me just ask you a question. How you doing? How you doing through the coronavirus? Are you exercising or have you given up? Have you thrown in the towel? Or are you saying, okay, God, I, I forgot that. I forgot that. Help me. Help me to be positive. Help me to trust you. Exercise my faith. Trust you that you are in control. Now, as you go through that, look at Romans 8.28. Now, let me just say this to you. Romans 28 is a very, very familiar verse to all of us. But very often, we never read verse 29. So I'm going to connect them for you tonight. Here we go. Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So this verse is not for unbelievers. This is only for believers. Now notice, called according to his purpose. Well, what in the, what in the world is the purpose? Why does he bring all these things into our life and then eventually they're terrible but make them good? Well, for purpose he has. Well, what is that purpose? Take a look. 
that, and you'll see in the next verse, that purpose is basically this. Listen, to use everything that we go through to make us more like Jesus. Look at verse 29. You see it right in the overhead. For God knew his people in advance. You and me, he knows all of us. And he chose them, Christ followers, to become like his son. There's that exercise again of faith. To become like Jesus. Think like him. Have the character of Jesus. Minister like Jesus. Touching people's lives. So when God takes that all together and kind of makes, uh, you know, he mixes all the things that are going on in our life in the coronavirus. He mixes all that. And eventually we know this. Here's lesson number three. What Satan means for bad, God turns to good. Now, is it a stress? Do we have to really exercise? Yes, we do. We have to believe that. Now, when you leave that part, James, you remember, is the half-brother of Jesus. And look on the overhead. This is James chapter 4. And notice his first two words. Now listen. Can I just say to you, it's time to listen. Maybe some of you have been thinking of something else. Come on, come right back to my teachings tonight. Here it is. He says this. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. And we'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and we'll make money. Now, when you see that, notice what this person is doing. It's a him or a her, doesn't matter. The person is making plans for their future. You see time mentioned, today or tomorrow. You see a place, a city. You see a duration. Okay, we're going to be there for a year. There's, there's no problem about it. We'll definitely be there for a year. And a business that will eventually make profit. Now, there's nothing wrong with all of those things. Encouraging God, basically, the Bible tells us we should plan. We should have goal setting. Making a profit is not a problem. But what is missing from these well-made plans? What is left out of what these people are planning? Here's what's left out. Nothing. It's who is left out. This person, man, woman, is making their plans without God. They have no relationship with God. They're just using their own mentality, their own wisdom. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. God, oh, I don't need God. I can do this. No, the Bible warns us big time. No, not a chance. Now, look at this. What do the plans mean? The plan simply means, you see it on the overhead? The plans of God are, is the will of God. Plans apart from God are absolutely prideful and useless. That's why you have to understand something. Why are we still waiting to figure out when to open? Because we're not going to use our plans. All our leadership are believers. But we're waiting on God's plan. And God's will always includes his timing. When it's right, We'll be there. Now, here's what the Bible says. If you're trying to do your life, maybe you're there and you're not a believer yet. Listen to this. Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. That's for everybody. The only way I can do life right is to do it with God's plan, his will in my life. Now, Watch what happens. Look at the next verse. James just expands it. Look at verse 14. Why 
kind of a little sarcasm. What, you're making all those plans? Wow, that's going to be really great. What, look what he says. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, vanishes. Well, James says this person is not a believer, and yet they think they're in control. They're not in control. This person assumes they're going to be living tomorrow and the next day, and actually, in their words, the next whole year. This person has assumed they can control everything, the place, the time, the people, the outcomes, but that all, all comes from lies from Satan. Actually, they do not know what tomorrow will bring. Let's be honest. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Now, we live in a time. We just saw an air crash the other day. Just, I think, a little less than 100 people who were basically almost home. Two people survived. Everybody else died. Do you think that morning when they got up, thought, well, this is going to be great. We're riding back home. We're going to see our relatives. No, they're already in a grave. It's over. Well, you think that's something. Look at this figure. This is from today. 338,000 worldwide deaths through May 23rd. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of those people, 338,000, a week ago, a month ago, six months ago, thought, I'm going to die in the first four months of 2020. Do you remember when we went through 2020? We talked about a new year, and you heard lots of people say, I'm so glad 2019's out of here, man. Praise God. Well, we didn't know what tomorrow was bringing. None of us. But remember, we're in God's hands. I can trust him. I don't have to fear about death. None of us wouldn't want to go through the death, but we know where we're going. Satan has already been defeated. Death is defeated. We're going to heaven. But you have to be careful thinking that you know exactly what tomorrow brings. We don't know it at all. We just put our trust in Jesus. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it today. Let's learn to live today. Now, who owns, who basically knows our future? God. He knows every single person's future. And what James is saying is, while we're on the earth, and you know this, you've heard me teach it many times, the Bible teaches this, we're pilgrims. We're just pilgrims. We're traveling through life. We're enjoying life because we're following Jesus. But realistically, as we do this, we're just on our way to heaven. We don't know how, when that's going to happen, but we know where we're going. So here's lesson four. Remember what it said back there? He says this, your life, it's like a mist. And then it's gone. Well, here's lesson number four. Write it down. Life is short. So we need to use our time wisely. Well, you say, Pastor Mark, how are we to live on this earth while we're on our way to heaven then? You mean I can't plan anything? Of course you can. But you have to plan it with God's wisdom, not yours. James answers the question I just gave you. How in the world are we supposed to live while we're traveling to eternity? Here it is, James 4, 
15, 16. Take a look. He starts it with this word. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live, live and do this or we'll do that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Here's lesson five. You've heard it before. Lesson five. Ask man's wisest question. What is the wisest question we could ever ask every single day when we're making decisions? What is it? Here it is. God, what do you want me to do? God, I want your will. What do you want me to do? Now, Paul talks in Ephesians. He talks after we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Just before that, he talks about wisdom. Wisdom, which is filled in the book, basically, of Proverbs. Here it is. I'll read it to you. Ephesians chapter 5. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Would you say the days that we're living in are evil? It's some of the worst evil we've ever seen in our entire lives, any of us. Therefore, he continues, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God, what do you want me to do as we come out of this? How do we do it? What do we do with our homes? What do we do with our kids? What do we do with the college? What do we do with our bills? What do we do with the loans? God has an answer for all of us. He provides for us. Don't be worried about that. Don't be panicked about that. Every day, enjoy the day you have because it's a gift from God. Now, to use our time wisely, there's one big priority. God first. We need to always put God first in our life. Seek the kingdom of God first, and everything else will be given to you. That is a challenge to us because sometimes we want to move into first place. No, put God in first place. If you haven't been doing that during this time, just tomorrow morning when you get up, say, God, I want to put you right back where you need to be. I'm putting things in front of you, people in front of you. I'm putting you in the right place. I want to serve you. I have no other gods before me now. Forgive me. But I'm glad to put you back in first place. Now, Philippians 4, 6, you know the verse. Paul writes it like this. Do not be anxious about anything. I underline that in my Bible, about anything. I haven't got there yet, but I'm working on it. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here we learn from God, how to be changed spiritually for the better. Paul tells us. It's very straightforward. Worry, write it down, worry about no thing. No thing. Interesting, Jesus used the same word that Paul used in Philippians 4. In Matthew 6, he commands Christ followers not to worry in three different times. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Interesting. Why did Jesus write that? Because he's our shepherd. He's going to take care of us. It doesn't matter what we're going through at all. Now, this command, you say, well, Pastor Mark, why in the world do they say no thing? I can't worry about nothing. Why in the world did they do that? Here's why. Look at Worrying solves nothing. Look at Worrying solves nothing and accomplishes nothing. You ever see a person, and maybe we've seen it now in our homes a lot, if you have a kind of a rocker in your house, you come home and you say, to your spouse or to one of your kids, what have you been doing today? Oh, just rocking. How you doing? You getting anywhere? No, I'm just rocking. Well, that's it. What's worry? You're just rocking. Are you getting anywhere? No. You're just spending a lot of energy. Your mind's all goofed up, and you're not going anywhere. There's no peace. So we have to be careful because the enemy loves us to worry. The enemy brings fear, anxiety, depression in our marriages, in our homes, in our businesses. All the time he's there. He does not like a peaceable person who's always worrying about things. Remember the worry stone? You just make it smooth and smooth and smooth. If you've got one, throw it away. Go back to the word of God. That's where our strength comes from. Now, all of us from time to time, and I'm speaking to myself, obviously, uh, have concerns about our future, our health, our family, our finances, and the list just goes on. I have to go back to this myself just like you do. None of us that I'm talking to, not myself, not our family, none of us are perfect here. We struggle with that. But during this time, we really sometimes struggle about that. Oh, I touched that. I think that person sneezed over here. Careful, careful. Use wisdom, be wise, and say, well, what are we going to do? Don't be playing what if game. God's going to take care of us. Now, God has something. It's interesting because my old pharmacy background is involved a lot with the coronavirus because everybody said, well, there's going to be this drug and then there's going to be this drug and this drug here. We're not going to give this to the rats. We're going to give this to the bunnies and whatever and everything. God has a cure. God has a cure for worry. You know what it is? Watch what Paul says. He says, worry about no thing. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Now, when you see that, look at it. I'll read it to you. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Now, don't forget the last part of this. And thank him for all he's done. You and I have history with God. If you and I look back at our life, we've all been through lots of really difficult times. In this world, you're going to have trouble, Jesus told us. Did he bring us out of them? Yes, absolutely. Go back to your history and thank God. So make your request known. You see, prayer is God's way of two things, communicating with us. He loves to talk with us. He loves to hear from us. He loves to answer our prayers because prayer is God's way of basically providing what we need. You know the verse very well. You have not because you ask not. So we're to pray. It's a command. And sometimes we pray, but we never thank God. I just want to encourage you and myself included to thank God for all the prayers he's answered. And remember, 
We don't have time, but there's lots of ways God will answer. He'll answer yes. He'll answer wait. Not the one we like. He'll answer well, no sometimes even. Because he said, when he answers no, he means he's got something better for you. So we have to be careful. But God cares about us. So to be effective, our prayer must be mixed with faith. Faith. Okay, God, I'm praying. I know. I trust you, God. I have confidence that you will do exactly what you promised in the Word of God. You promise you'll take care of me. You promise me, God. You promise me, God, that I, when I pray, you will give me an answer. What to do? I don't know what to do, God. I'm worried. I'm, I'm, I'm worried, God. I know you will answer me. And as you're saying, God, see what you're saying to God? Well, will you answer me? I'm not sure you'll answer me. No, no, no. I know you will answer me. I'll take whatever you tell me. I'm exercising my faith. You just don't pray. You have to exercise it. I have to exercise it with faith. Faith. Remember, Jesus was asked by his disciples. When they saw his life, remember what Jesus said? I only do what the Father tells me to do. The disciples watched Jesus pray. And so what did they do? Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? the Lord's Prayer. He taught them. Now, when you think about that, understand one thing. Just like we told you at the beginning, repetition is basically that foundation of what? Basically what we're doing, learning together. It's the mother of learning. Now, when they started praying, what do you have to do? You have to practice it. You're not sure how to do it. Now, some people just have a natural gift of prayer. They just pray and they pray forever. Some of us have to go, okay, God, I'm talking to you. My heart's open. You know me better than I know. And some people always times, I, I know many people, I've watched this through the years. People say, well, but, Pastor Mark, the, the Bible says God knows what we need before we ask. Why in the world should we ask? You know why? Because he wants a relationship with you. Your children who love you. They're going to ask you for something. Would you like them never to ask? No, we want a relationship. God says, ask, and it will be given to you. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, knock, ask. Come on, do it. Now, when you see all this happening, just practice your prayers as you're going through. If those things come in your mind, okay, this is not going to be good. I I'm depressed. Well, God will keep you in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on him. Get right back into the word of God. Get right back to the word of God. Here's lesson number six. Worry about no thing. Pray about everything. Now I'm going to go through the, the seventh key very quick, but it's super important. Look at this principle Psalm 78, I put it up for you so you could read it. I like the New Living Translation. I'm not going to go through all the words, but I'm going to show you. Notice what it says. God designed parents to teach God's principles to their children in the home. That's what that whole psalm is about. Let me just understand, help you understand a couple things. The, these principles come from God's word, right here. God's word is our instruction manual. This is how 
we do life. It's a lamp to my feet, and it's a light to my path. In here, we learn how to do life, how to get married, how to be a good employee, how to be a good husband, a wife, parent, how to raise our children, all those things, all kinds of things from A to Z is right here in the Bible. And so we have to understand that. Actually, one of the big things is, we'll talk about it in a moment, people want to know, well, how do I get to heaven? Can, can I work there and get to heaven by being good? No, you can't. You only get to heaven one way, through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us how to get to heaven. Now, let me just read a couple things for you very quickly. Then I'm going to focus on verses 5, verse 6, verse 7. Let me just read a few of them. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our ancestors. Stories we've heard and known that have been handed down to us. We will not hide, listen. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About his power and his mighty wonders. Here's verse 5, 6, 7. For he issued his law to Jacob. He gave instructions to the people of Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. Do you see the domino effect? So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles but obeying his commands. During the last four months, God is saying to all of us that our parents or grandparents, he's reminding us to talk to our children and answer their questions. Share with your children what God is teaching you. Share with your children what God is teaching you to be a better Christ follower through these difficult times. Parents not only need to do that, but they need to pray with their children and encourage them. See, sometimes our children, all the way to teenagers, college students even, they they basically are wondering, is everything going to be all right? You can just say, everything is going to be all right. God is in control of our family and you, and you are going to be fine. Now, let me just warn you, no no parent can pass on salvation, but they can influence their children so that each one sees the benefit of Jesus for their whole life. Now, think about this. Here's lesson seven. Write it down, but not just write it down. Basically, start living it. Here it is. Teach and pray for your children and encourage them. They need to be encouraged. Look at that God cares for them and everything is going to be all right. Now, let me remind you, because we've all done that. All of us that have children, we've raised our children. We look back. Yeah, we could all have done some better things. We could have done. I wish I didn't do that, but I did better there. But here's one thing I want to remind you about, parent. You brought those children 
into the world. Now, we can't decide what they're going to decide. They have a free will to do whatever they want. Serve God, run away from God, be a prodigal, whatever. Well, we can continue to pray for them. But while they're in your house and there for a while, here's what I want to tell you. You teach your children, but you don't only teach by words. You teach by your life, your motives, your actions, what they see you doing. One of the reasons I'm here tonight, my wife as well, as a Christian for over 70 years. Why? Because I watched my mom and dad, far from perfect, but I watched their heart for God. They were real. My wife's parents, exactly the same. See, you will not be a perfect parent, mom, dad, no. But they can see your humility. They can see your love for God. So if you've missed that opportunity during this time, Get with your kids all the way to the teenagers. Promise them. Read these verses because eventually they'll get married and they'll pass it on. By the way, you would say, well, Pastor Mark, we'll never have times like this again. Don't kid yourself. This world's going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus finally comes. That's it. The rapture comes and eventually the tribulation comes and we go to heaven. So I just want to encourage you. Now, one last key. The world in general, and we see it all the time, is searching for something that satisfies, that gives purpose and meaning. That's because these people are not Christ followers. They don't know something that the Bible tells. Solomon says, you have eternity in your heart. That simply means this. Every person knows. They, don't, they won't admit it, but every person knows they are going to live somewhere forever. Forever. We will live in heaven with God or hell separated from God. And God has a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. He's put it in every one of us that only a personal relationship with God can fill. You can't fill that void with anything else. Nothing in the world will fill that vacuum, that emptiness, nothing. During the last four months, God is reminding all of us as you think about this that everyone matters to God. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, you matter to God. Whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever, you're valuable to God. God proves it. Look at this. Look at this promise. Because everyone is really searching. They just don't know what they're doing. They, they can't figure what to use to give them purpose and meaning. Look at this verse from God. If you look for me wholeheartedly, not a game, God, I, I, I need something. I need purpose. I need meaning. I need a new start. You will find me. The only thing that will satisfy, satisfy a person's searching is a personal relationship with God. Now, I want to tell you something very quickly. It's been very encouraging to me. I watched something a few nights ago on a Christian program. It was about eight to ten pastors. From, it was all live from all different parts of the world, all over the place. And these were all pastors, leaders of churches. And many of them couldn't speak English, so they had an interpreter alongside them. And every single one of them, I watched it. I got so excited. Every single one of them said, especially one of the countries, the pastor said, you know, the country that I pastor in, the people aren't interested in God at all. 
And I've been here working and working and basically nothing really happens. He said, I've seen so many people come to Jesus Christ. It just shocks me. And that was repeated over and over and over again in those eight or nine, I can't remember how many countries. They all said, we're just blown out of, we, our minds are blown. People are coming to Christ like crazy. And it's such a beautiful thing. Why? Because they're searching. They have no answer for this. Is somebody in control? Yes, God is in control. Now, they heard the gospel. They heard, they've never heard it before, that they can repent and believe and put their faith in Jesus, and they can get a brand new start. Let me just say this to you. At our campuses, during the last about eight or nine weeks, we've had more than 400 people accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's unbelievable. In America, right here, where God's known everywhere. See, that just shows us how powerful the love of God is. That's why Jesus died. He died for the whole world. So when you see this happening, this search, let me just say this to you. Here's number eight. Unbelievers are searching for purpose and meaning. Having a personal relationship with Jesus, listen, changes everything. It changes everything. How do I know that? Because it's Bible. It's Bible. You remember what I told you? Repetition is, the, is basically the mother of all learning. We see this over and over again. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Now, only God can change a person for better. Only God can change a person for better. I can't change anybody for better. Only God can change a person for better. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this. Many of you that are listening tonight, during the whole weekend, what happens? You matter to God. I told you that. You're valuable to God. And you now think, okay, I've got the answer. I am ready to ask God to make the biggest change in my life. Uh, today, I want my sins forgiven. I, I want a joy. I want a new start in life. I want to have a life that's better. I want to say this to you. God will change your life for better. Now, I know also there's people, you used to be a follower of Christ, but you got off his path. You started following yourself, your desires, instead of God's. And the enemy says to you, there's no chance coming back. God won't accept you. He's a liar. He loves to give new starts. I've had new starts in my life. Every Christian around has had a new start. Many starts. So I just want to challenge you. Tonight, when I share a prayer, you just make a recommitment to God. And when I ask you to say yes, whether you've never been a believer or you're making a recommitment, just say yes. Because God loves you and he'll change your heart. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how to receive God's gift of salvation and eternal life. Here's how to get better in your life right here. When you see this, Romans 10, 9, look what it says. If you, it's personal, it is not a group thing. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that basically God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be born again. You will be a brand new Christ follower. 
Now, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to know that you'll spend eternity in heaven, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. I want you just to pray it quietly wherever you're at, wherever you're at. And I'll lead you in the prayer. I'll pray it slow enough so you can pray it with me. Now, remember, you're not praying to me. You're not praying to somebody in the room where you're at or, or outside. You're praying to God who created you to know him and spend eternity with him. Bow your head. Let's pray. Jesus, pray it just like that. I know I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And right now, I turn from my sins, and I choose to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I will follow you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for coming into my life and changing my life totally for the better. Thank you for loving me. And today, I receive your gift of salvation. And I look forward to that life of amazing change. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. I learned tonight, you're for me and not against me. Thank you for my forgiveness, my security, my purpose, and the hope that you've put in my heart. Thank you for saving me. Amen.